0: From KQED. from KQED Public Radio, I'm Michael Krasny. San Francisco-based writer Roberto Lovato says that as the son of Salvadorans, for him, the ongoing humanitarian crisis of violence, perpetual war, and mass migration in his parents' homeland is, before anything else, personal. Lovato journeyed to El Salvador to deepen his understanding of his family's history and that of other Central American immigrants, all of which he recounts in his new memoir, Unforgetting, which he joins us to discuss. But first, several major police accountability measures failed to gather enough votes by the last day of the legislative session. We'll hear why police reform stalled in the California legislature. That's all next after this news. Welcome to Forum, I'm Michael Krasny. Facing strong opposition from law enforcement groups, a measure that would have allowed California to remove police officers who commit serious misconduct, failed to pass the state legislature earlier this week. It was just one of several major police accountability measures that did not gather enough votes by the last day of the legislative session. Joining us to lay out why the bills failed and what that says about prospects for police reform in California is Los Angeles Times reporter Anita Chabrier. And Anita, welcome to the program. Good morning.
1: Thanks for having me on, Michael.
0: Glad to have you. And let's begin by talking about what went wrong here. I mean, a majority of Californians actually are behind police reform. There were major bills that simply died even without a vote. What happened?
1: I think it was a couple of different things that came together. But you know the unions really opposed a lot of these major reforms. They have publicly said that they're not against the idea of them, but the actual details of these bills they were very strongly against. And, and that has been a great pressure growing over the last few months. And that coupled really with. Uh, Fewer protests in the streets, quite honestly. Other things took Californians' attention and legislators' attention, wildfires and budgets and, you know, unemployment and eviction. And so there was less of a focus, and with less of a focus comes less pressure. And then the last day just turned into chaos, and that really just ran out the clock on the ability for legislators to vote.
0: Yeah, there was kind of a meltdown, and the police unions who were lobbying very strongly had another advantage. The bills were introduced pretty uh, well, only weeks in, in advance. I mean, uh, and so they really, and, and as you said, the Capitol was closed. People couldn't protest. Uh, regular people who wanted to show their concern couldn't get there. And uh, there was simply an eclipsing by pandemic, wildfires, and uh, all that's been going on. Uh, I'm just wondering, though, about if we can break down what these bills were that were blocked. And there were a couple of things that actually did get through. Uh, citizens' access to police personnel records was one that was put forward by local Berkeley Uh, Assemblyperson um, uh, Nancy Sanders, uh, and um, we had a bill, and this has been getting perhaps the most attention, uh, put forward by Stephen Bradford, who is a Democrat from Gardenia and also uh, an African-American. Let's talk about that first, because I mentioned in the introduction, you only have one of five states presently, I believe. Uh, California is only one of five states that doesn't allow for what's called decertification.
1: That's absolutely correct. So most states have a statewide agency or statewide body that when a officer has some kind of serious misconduct sustained against them, they basically strip away their badge. They say you cannot be an officer anymore. California does not have that. And so what we've seen in California is that an officer can get in trouble at one agency and either quit or in some cases even be fired from that agency and move someplace else and still get a job. And often the public has no way of knowing that that agent, that officer has a troubled record. So Bradford's bill 731 was meant to create that statewide body that could decertify officers and also had a second component to it uh, about qualified immunity. So normally when an officer is sued in civil court for some of their actions, a shooting or something like that, they have immunity financial burden from that. But Bradford's bill would have given them A small amount of financial uh, liability if they were found to have acted wrongly in a civil court.
0: So that bill was blocked, and then the citizen access to police personnel records was blocked, and there was also a a bill blocked that would have allowed the use of uh, would have diminished uh, the possibility of using tear gas or rubber bullets at protests, uh, and uh, that didn't get through either.
1: Yeah, those are really the three big ones that would have made the major changes, and and none of them even got to the votes that they needed to move forward.
0: But here's the strange thing in all this. Uh, the police claim that they're behind that uh, diminishing or eliminating use of tear gas and rubber bullets, and they claim they want to compromise on decertification. At least that's what we're hearing from the police unions who lobbied very strongly. So their arguments were that uh, there, there wouldn't, for example, the decertification wouldn't allow for due process, and they said the bills were too hurried and all of those kinds of objections, right?
1: That's absolutely correct. So publicly, all of the unions have said that they back some sort of decertification. And I think in in theory, many of them actually do. I mean, I don't think it does the unions any good to have trouble within their ranks. But what really was not acceptable to them was this idea of a citizens commission that included the family members of victims of police violence and uh, could potentially include organizations like Black Lives Matter. And they were very, very against having what they saw as a biased community board be able to weigh in on whether an officer keeps his badge or not. And then also within the rank and file, that qualified immunity clause was very, very unpopular.
0: Yeah. Are these bills dead now? Does this uh, mean the likelihood that nothing's going to go forward on them? Or is there going to be some kind of compromises ironed out, do you think?
1: Absolutely are going to see decertification back. Even the unions acknowledge that, and I think you see that in all of their public statements. They know that decertification is going to happen in California. It's just hashing out how that's going to happen, and I think that's going to be a very big legislative fight next year because uh, you know Bradford feels strongly that you. He does not feel that people. Trust the police to police themselves, and I think you've seen that in some of the polling around uh, police accountability in California. And so he feels very strongly about having that community panel part of it. And so I think that's going to be a big fight.
0: Talking I, about I also police. Think... Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, sorry go go ahead. No, I, I, didn't I, I didn't think that.
1: you'll see the Skinner bill come back as well uh, to open more police records.
0: Again, we're talking about how police reform bills fared in the California legislature with Los Angeles Times reporter Anita Chabrier and. Uh, Neither. There were a couple of bills that actually went through. There was a measure passed requiring a state attorney general to investigate when police kill an unarmed uh, civilian and also a bill banning, um, uh, well, actually chokeholds and neck restraints. Uh, p- the, the police didn't oppose these and they got through. <laughs>
1: They did, but those bills are far more modest than they sound on the surface. So in the case of the chokeholds and the carotid holds, most agencies don't use those in California. And a few months ago, the governor, Newsom, asked the state agency to stop training for them. So actually, you know, in the Bay Area, it, maybe some of your smaller agencies still are using them, but the big ones are not. So that was kind of acceptable, and there was some parts of the bill that were troublesome to law enforcement, but that wasn't as big of a deal. Uh, When it comes to the oversight of investigations of fatal shootings, again, that bill, uh, you know, it it is a reform that passed, but the AG's office has been, did not support it, has been very, very reluctant to step in on these investigations. And the way the bill is written uh, leaves a loophole for that where if the AG continues to resist that and does not take on that oversight, it could be that we end up creating an entirely new state office, uh, some kind of state prosecutor or IG that would take on that role. But in either instance, there's no money behind that bill and it would require funding before it goes into effect.
0: Well, let me invite you, our listeners, to weigh in here if you have some thoughts about uh, police reform bills that uh, fared or didn't fare so well in the California legislature. And if you'd like to join us with your comments or if you have any questions, we invite you to be participant in the program. You can give us a call right now at 866-733-6786 and join the program at that number toll-free number 866-733-6786 or get in touch on twitter and facebook we're at kqed forum or email any questions or comments you might have to forum at kqed.org again we're talking to anita chabrier who is a los angeles times reporter who's been covering all this and Let's talk about with you, Nita, how the Black Caucus fit into this. I know there was a lot of celebrity lobbying going on. Uh, Kim Kardashian and Rihanna and Mariah Carey supporting the Black Caucus. They, they've been talking a lot about reparations, getting a bill in on requiring ethnic studies courses and also, um, well, making sure that racial discrimination doesn't go on in jury selection. Where does that all stand?
1: You know, there there was more success along that front. You saw the ethnic studies bill uh, go forward. You saw the the study on reparations go forward. So I think the the Black Caucus did have wins this time around. I think you know they they did get the celebrities. You saw Kim Kardashian tweeting directly at certain senators who were wobblers on these police reform bills, asking them to please vote for it. So I think you'll see them come back strong again next next session with some of these same things. There were successes this time, just not the ones that they necessarily wanted as the as the big showpiece ones.
0: And can we also talk with you just a bit about how much money the unions put into political campaigns and actually give donations to political parties? We're talking about probably over a million dollars, aren't we, about, uh, by my standards, uh or by my lights, uh, 280,000 given to Democrats, 152,000 are Republicans. It's a lot of money for lobbying.
1: You know, I don't have the numbers directly in front of me, but, you know, historically, yes, the, the, lobbies, the lobbyists and the unions absolutely support legislators. And, you know, they support a, a wide variety of them. You see the police unions giving to Democrats and Republicans. You've really seen uh, a rise of the moderate Democrats in the legislature that uh, are often more sympathetic to the to the unions and to those causes and that's actually created a large split within Democrats in the legislature.
0: Let me bring a caller on here. Ann joins us from Oakland. Ann, welcome. You're on the air.
2: Hi, um, thanks so much for having this show. So in Oakland just uh, we support legislative stuff. I'm with the Coalition for Police Accountability but we find it often gets watered down. And so what we've spent a lot more time working on is local uh, local ways of addressing it. We have one of the strongest independent police commissions in the country to oversee the police. And like, so on the ban of neck holds, the police commission passed an asphyxia ban, which is how people are really dying when you're being restrained by the police because police are sitting on your chest and they can't breathe. And so my question is, is are the real... Um, Are the real reforms going to come from local reforms, strong reforms, meaningful reforms, then being reflected statewide in legislation? Yeah,
0: and thank you for that question. Anita?
1: I think it goes both ways. And I think you're absolutely right, you know, uh, that at the local level, sometimes you can have a greater impact, especially in places where the public is behind that. But I think ultimately what we're trying to do is change the profession raise the standards of the profession and create uniformity and i think that has to come from the state level because you'll never get you know certain sheriff's offices and places like that to even accept oversight they just won't do it so it has to come from the state level for certain agencies that are unwilling
0: let me just say sometimes it works in coordination nancy o'malley the district attorney of alameda county just charged in a fatal shooting in Walmart of a young black man in San Leandro, uh, Stephen Taylor, just put forth charges, and charges are coming forward now because of state law. I think that's changed, hasn't it, as we come up at a break?
1: That is true, and it's always the it's always the prosecutors that ultimately hold that power.
0: Well, we'll leave it at that. And Anita, always good to have you with us. Thank you so much for joining us this morning on Forum.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: That's Anita Chabrier, and when we come back, uh, we're gonna talk to Roberto Lovato. He has a memoir out about Well, not only about his life, but also about El Salvador's life. Stay tuned for that. It's up ahead.